0: It's Lloyd, Lloyd, to Lloyd, 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 Lloyd. Okay, before we start this out, I'm just going to need to check your studs um, and make sure they are AFL approved.
1: I actually thought when I was looking at the replay here, and I, I generally don't mind, I mean, no one wants to see a serious injury, but I don't normally mind seeing the replays or vision of kind of gruesome injuries. Like, it doesn't really affect me that much, but... When I was watching the replay the first time, I was like, well, okay, his leg at some point is going to snap here and it's going to be pretty bad viewing. When you didn't see anything at all, I just had no idea what was going on and the, the bloody golf cart was going off at about one mile an hour. I thought uh, we were never going to get an opportunity to finish this game, but that is one serious gash on Isaac Quainor's leg. That is that was That was pretty nasty.
0: In general, I'm all about serious gashes, but it wasn't this one. This one wasn't a good one to look at, Kane. And um, yeah, it's pretty wild. Now they're investigating studs, and if they're approved, and yeah, I don't know, it, it wasn't good. I, I don't mind that stuff coming from a, a medical type background. It doesn't like gross me out to see those things. If you want to see a gross thing, go watch. Uh, go look at Jaron Geary's uh, quad. Have you seen that one from last year? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that that, that's pretty rough, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty wild that that sort of injury to Quainor could happen. And Collingwood in the uh, in the wars last night,
1: they were. I was actually surprised that Quainor was kind of laughing and smiling. On, the, I mean, that's definitely not the type of thing you want to look down and see. No. Uh I, I would have to imagine it probably didn't hurt that much. Yeah, when it, it goes when, when it goes
0: deep like that, it doesn't doesn't tend to hurt as much. There's a bit of shock that comes in, but you cut yeah. you cut through in those nerves pretty cleanly, and it doesn't hurt as much. It'll hurt later, for sure.
1: Yeah, two weeks seems pretty optimistic. I mean, that's going to be a, a fairly nasty wound they got to uh, stitch up there. I mean, hopefully, you know, obviously the concern, I guess, is infection or something like that yep. with, with that type of thing. But anyway, needless to say, the Pies survived. I, I don't think that they could have won a game and me be any less impressed with them, though. Um, yeah, injuries, it certainly played a factor. But, we, I mean, we've seen a number of teams uh, have, have injuries early in games and and managed to to work through it and, and get through it okay. I, I think the biggest concern for mine is when I watched this team yesterday, and they were plus 20 and in inside 50s at halftime and losing on the scoreboard. Sure, there was a little bit of inaccuracy, but there was no... I wasn't watching this game and thinking, geez, Collingwood should be kicking these guys. I mean, the opportunities weren't the easiest. I thought Sydney did a pretty decent job uh, of pressuring those shots on goals for the most part again we spoke about it yesterday collingwood's inability to find goal kickers and it's really shocking to me how desperately bad this team misses scott Pounderbury.
0: yeah it's it's huge it's all about that um you know efficiency of movement and position yeah. p- positioning of where he puts it and where he gets other guys into position yeah 2-10 at half time's a, a rough scoreline uh, compared to sydney going at five goals so maybe I think this margin probably flatters Sydney a little bit, but you're right. It wasn't super impressive from Collingwood. Uh, got that you know, nice. Uh, I thought Josh akos was really good in, in general in this game. He was someone we did talk about yesterday. Of course, he, he kicked the game winner, but um, I thought he was impressive in general and really starting to establish himself as someone that I, I wasn't really sure if he was going to be like a you know, top-level AFL contributor. But hey, I, I thought he was really good last night and, and a key factor for that. But yeah, the, the forward line is a, is a real worry.
1: Well, the Pies just, I mean, they, they really don't have a lot of classy players that have that have great skills and can finish off plays. And Dacos is one of them. And I obviously just mentioned the fact that Pennebry's out. And it is a huge loss. But a lot of their other players are just hard workers. They yeah. work hard, but they get the contested footy. We know Taylor Adams, obviously, they're going to be missing True Law for a little bit now. He went off uh, late in the third quarter with a hamstring and three weeks in this economy. He'll miss a few <laughs> games with that. Uh, yeah. So that's not ideal for the pies, but yeah, Josh Dakos might be someone in the lead up to the finals that becomes a critical player because he, he won the ball yesterday. He hasn't uh, he hasn't been an accumulator in the past, but twenty five disposals and nineteen kicks for five hundred and one meters gained. He was a guy that has genuine class and can and can pr- provide a point of difference. Good delivery inside fifty, and clearly we know. I mean, geez, he can he can finish a goal. Uh, and he saved them yesterday.
0: It's like uh, it's almost like Nathan Buckley was listening to this podcast where I said you got to get get getting that ball around that half forward wing area, get him to yep. be the one that delivers it into the Ford fifty, and he led the team with inside fifties. He had seven of them in this game, and then yeah, kicking, kicking the goal as well, and getting accumulating the ball. So they're yeah, dangerous possessions, and that is yeah sort of a difference, I guess, between what they were doing early on and just getting getting some goals on the board in that, second, in that second half, because it could have ended up being pretty ugly. They ended up kicking four goals four in the second half, which, of course, is yeah, significantly better than two goals ten, and some of that conversion. We're going to talk a little bit more about conversion and where your shots on goal occur later on in the show. Um, Is there anything positive to see from Sydney? Like, they are absorbing a lot in terms of inside 50s in all of their games. They just seem to get the ball pumped in there, pumped in there uh, a lot, 50 inside 50s in this one, Um, but they somehow are are just hanging on. That's something that I talked about yesterday about, you know, Sydney, we talk about their lack of talent, but there's still really good players in that back line with Aaliyah and Rampy and those sort of guys, and they are continuing to just absorb that pressure.
1: Yeah, not a lot to take from this from the Swans, I think. I mean, like you said, I mean they're playing a game style that is kind of reminding me of Fremantle a little bit. They know that they have to weather the storm somewhat, and Buckley did mention at halftime he thought the numbers were back. I, I mean, it wasn't the 75,000 people in the defensive 50 that Damian Hardwick mentioned a few weeks ago, but Sydney kind of have to do that at the moment. They're definitely uh, outnumbered in the midfield when in terms of guys that are missing, and again it's not a level playing field when you look at Sydney missing a guy like Kennedy and Heaney compared to Collingwood missing Pendlebury. I mean, the depth isn't there for the Swans. They're playing a lot of younger players. The one guy, the one guy I've liked all season long is James Rowbottom. Uh, He's hard around the contest. He is a guy that can win you a clearance. Uh, Sometimes he's a little rough around the edges still, but he hasn't been around for too long. So, I mean, they're just looking at positives in terms of young guys that are trying to come in. And uh, the one thing you always know with Sydney, they're going to be competitive, I just really was watching this game to see something from the Pies and and again uh, I know 6 goals 14 but this this team just can't put a score on the board and and it's you know they're in the 8 right now and uh they'll take the four points for sure it would have been disastrous if they lost the game but this was more about Collingwood for mine and uh they just it's not quite right right now
0: yeah it's not they, they can't be pleased they can be pleased I guess that they're sitting 7th without being pleased with how they're playing yeah. Yeah. but um, yeah, there are obviously some problems there that need to uh, need to be sorted and Hoskin Elliott also got injured in this one for, uh, for Collingwood um, footy in the Northern Territory Kane?
1: Yeah this will be pretty cool, I mean we know now that basically the AFL has been limited to Western Australia, Queensland and the odd game in South Australia but round 13 fixture came out yesterday and there's going to be a couple of games in the Northern Territory including the Dreamtime game which this was flagged a couple of weeks ago i think there was some question marks whether uh, they would allow teams from queensland into the northern territory but this is cool this is great uh, They they always get a game or two through the season clearly the northern territory has done a great job uh, with the virus to this point um so why not get a couple of games in there i like it, it makes sense to me yeah. and, and also and also it was it was i think also as a result of the fact that tasmania are obviously locked out uh, the AFL there. So they were looking for alternative uh, venues because uh, old Metricon was looking a little tired last night.
0: Yeah, it's not the greatest surface. I want I wanted some uh, more North Queensland games. That's where I want them to go, go up and play yeah. Town- Townsville and Cairns. But yeah, Bulldogs used to play up in Darwin all the time. My parents used to go up there. They, they loved the the um, the ground, the warmth. Like, this is actual 30 degree weather, yeah. 25 degree weather at night, which maybe it's not great to play footy in, but they love that experience up there. So it'd be good to get some a couple more games in there in round 13. Um, do you reckon the top eight's done? Is this is this the top eight? I'm going to say no. Right, cause I know you, I know you are. Because <laughs> because are all a night, so I'm going to say no. So we're, we're going to jump in. We're going to push out the Giants or maybe the Magpies, but you seem to think that this eight might be it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now, based on what we've seen across the course of the season, and again, uh, I've just spoke about the Pies, and they haven't been impressive, but geez, you just feel like they have so much room uh, to improve. The only question mark I have with them is clearly the forward line. I mean, I, I don't know what happens there, where they find goal kickers. But uh, they'll get players back on the road to the finals. I don't think Collingwood's going to miss the eight. And the Giants, again, I mean, they've just got too too much talent not to. Obviously, a huge game tonight against the Bombers. But I think, all things considered, uh, this is probably the best eight teams in the comp. I, if you had to ask me a month ago, I may have had question marks over the Saints. And I might have put the doggies in there ahead of St. Kilda. But right now, the Saints are... Sitting second and uh, sitting pretty up there in the top four, I think that this is the best eight
0: teams in the comp. Look, outside of my Western Bulldogs bias, yeah, looking down below them on the ladder, it is really hard to look at those other teams and go, yeah, probably like Essendon, maybe, but they're struggling at the moment. Then you got Gold Coast, Melbourne, Carlton, Hawthorne, Kangaroos, Dockers, Swans, Crows. Like so, maybe it's maybe it's set. I still think the Bulldogs can push in. Maybe it's Essendon, but at most, I think I reckon we're down to ten at this point, but yeah, uh, I'll, 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 go with nine.
1: Well, I tell you what, let's move on to tonight's game, Essendon and GWS, because I'm in the same boat as you. Like it, obviously right now there's only percentage and, you know, depending on what GWS do tonight, they're on 20 points. The doggies in ninth on 20 and also Essendon on 20 with uh, a game in hand. They're actually right now, two games in hand on a, on a bunch of these teams. So clearly Essendon is still in the mix when you look at the numbers but i'm just talking about the level of play they haven't looked great the last few weeks and again that's another team that's been decimated by uh, injuries they have such a long list of key players that are out of this team right now but this game will change things a little bit if the giants win then i probably feel more confident about my claim there on the top eight but the bombers can mix things up a little bit are they a chance tonight against the giants
0: they're are- Chance, I wouldn't say that given how things have been going for them recently, that they are a good chance, but they they need this one because we we, we talk all the time. They've got a game in hand, they've got a game in hand, and then they're two in hand. But if you just keep losing in in the end, you don't have confidence that that game in hand is going to mean anything, that it's going to actually result in a victory anyway. So, this is it's not an easy one, of course. It's not in it's not at GWS, it's at at, uh, Metricon. So maybe that is a benefit there. But the way that the two teams have been playing recently, the form is heading more towards the Giants. Um, Yeah, They got the win last week against the Suns. I I do think that it's going to be tough for Essendon. But so much, again, is going to come down to how does GWS get the ball into the forward line? Can they get in there enough? Can they avoid guys like uh, Ridley intercepting and providing that defensive pressure? But I think the, the, the bigger worry is going to be the midfield battle.
1: Well, it's important to note Toby Green, obviously, out for this yes. one. And when you talk about the Giants kicking goals, he's been, I've said it before, he's won basically three games for them off his own boot that they wouldn't have won to this point. So uh, while we look at the lineups and say the Giants have the advantage here, let's let's not beat around the bush. They have not been impressive this season, particularly with their ability to move the, forward, move the ball from defense to the forward line. So we'll see if they can do a better job. The do, the thing that I do like about the Bombers, Bombers lineup is Sean McKernan coming back into the team. He's been a guy that's just, uh, he's so inconsistent. Sometimes he turns it on and he looks like a star, but he's been around for a long time now and hasn't been able to consistently do it. But you put him back in the team and they just look like they at least have a target up there because uh, I think last week at times, you know, Jacob Townsend is your number one target up forward. I mean, we saw him have some good moments with Richmond, no doubt about that, but he was also playing alongside a pretty potent forward line that had other options. I don't like him. As your one target up forward, it's too easy to pick off, particularly with a, a back line that the Giants have with guys that are, that are so smart back there, which he's sure, Nick Haynes, Zach Williams is back in the team uh, as well, came in last week, which is which is a huge boost for them. So uh, I think that the Giants look stronger, particularly in that back line. I do have concerns how Essendon are going to kick goals. The only other point I will make, Sam Draper up against the Mummy tonight. Yeah. You reckon a <laughs> mummy is going to try and absolutely obliterate this young fella.
0: Yeah, we, we know we know what the uh, the Shane Mumford game plan is. Doesn't always work out. Sometimes it gets him rattled. Sometimes it makes him look like a fool. So we'll see how he goes. I feel like he's been a little bit less intimidating recently. Maybe he just doesn't have the, the speed to actually catch mm. up to blokes and, and, and put the pressure on that way. But he hasn't been the same guy, uh, not through lack of trying, but just hasn't been able to have that same impact. But yeah, look... Right. I reckon, I reckon Draper might get over him today.
1: Well, he should be able to work around the ground. Yeah. Uh, we saw him last week. He took a great grab. He's got good hands. He's athletic. Uh, Mummy, at this point, sort of just lumbers around. And if you're unfortunate oh, yeah. enough to be standing under the ball and he's coming behind you, then you're going to feel it. So uh, we'll see. But he's going to run into him. He's going to stick his knee into him. And I think the midfield battle will be interesting here. Uh, obviously the Bombers got Dylan Shield back last week, and that was huge for him. I mean, we've spoke about the clearance numbers all season long. I mean, he has been basically their only guy in there that has been dominant around the clearances when they lost him. They really struggled. They have him back in their parishes named in the midfield. We've spoke about it a lot. He's a guy, particularly around the stoppages, not so much center clearances, but he's been a, a pretty important player for them, and then Zach Merritt. So, I mean, as far as the midfield goes, obviously Dyson Heppel is out for the season, but... As far as the midfield goes, this is about as good as the Bombers have looked. Uh, still, a, a number of key players out, but uh, they also get Connor McKenna back in the halfback line. Um,
0: the, I don't. I, I just think that they're outclassed, class, though. Again, when I look at this Giants lineup, yeah, I think that's going to be the case. Is you're know, trying to look at you know, Taranto and Hopper, and you know, yeah, uh, Whitfield and Canelio like taking on you know Parrish and, and Cutler, and yeah, you know, Merritt and McGrath. While Merritt and McGrath have been putting up some good numbers. I don't think they're quite in the class of these other guys. So I think that's probably where it's going to be. But goal, not goal, GWS needs to convert that. They need to convert that dominance, which I haven't done in all season in terms of forward pressure. So we need to see them a bit of a change there to get that happening because you just never feel comfortable in GWS. If they're going to get the ball, Like, what are they going to do with it afterwards? How are they going to move it? Are they going to convert midfield dominance into actually in-game dominance? And that's uh, that's always going to be the big key for them.
1: All right, let's move on to, let's talk about last night's game, the second of last night's game. The Suns and the Saints, was this the game of the year?
0: <laughs> yeah, we haven't had the Kane game of the year announcement for a while, so I'm, I'm glad it's back. I don't know, it was, well, I, it was pretty normally, good. I, I normally go before the game, but
1: this was after the game. I think probably the game of the year before last night and... And these two were both pretty quality games. Might have been Geelong and West Coast in terms of high scoring, quality, um, up and down, attacking football, skills being used. I thought Geelong and West Coast was right up there. I'm probably forgetting another game or two that was quality. But in terms of entertaining football, high scoring last night's was as close to as good as it gets in 2020. And, and the thing I love about both the Gold Coast and the Saints are that you know exactly the way they're going to try and play. And they rarely deviate from that. We've seen at times... Whether they have a plan B or not, that's something that that the question that needs to be asked. But when they're both playing free-flowing footy, uh, 51 inside 50s to 47 last night, so nearly 100 inside 50s, uh, you're
0: going to get some pretty exciting footy. Yeah, the ball was pinging back and forth. We got some pretty decent scores. We got young, exciting teams. Um, It's the perfect situation for, for some good footy, and so many times we've had that concern a you know whether this good footy is actually going to eventuate that to see it happen was was not a I guess it was a surprise but to see these you know guys like lococious and Miller again stepping up for Gold Coast and then yeah performances from from uh, Alice and you know the flashes from Rankin and then yeah Billings and Steele doing it again Hunter Clark again yeah you know, showing what he can do Callum Wilkie my man like again looking pretty good out there so some good numbers from from both sides but just good to get a, a, a good close finish between two teams who are on the way up. Yeah, the Suns, this was a heartbreaker for them. Oh, yeah. uh,
1: when, I, when we were talking about the top eight before, I mean, if they win this one, they're right back in the mix to lose a close game like this in a situation where they had opportunities. They had the ball inside 50 over the last couple of minutes there and, and had their chances. I thought that was an interesting decision on a boundary throw-in. Uh, Patty Ryder jumped all over Wits and there was a round, I'm going to guess it I think it was in the last minute, and no free kick was paid. I thought it was probably an easy free kick to pay, but they didn't go with it. And then Brandon Ellis turned the ball over, and the Suns really, from that point, never had an opportunity. But we spoke yesterday about the Saints and and the way that they kick goals. Yeah. And the Suns, I mean, this is obvious. This isn't something that people don't know about St. Kilda right now. They're getting their goals within 15 meters. They're getting over the back, and they're getting numbers... Uh, to the ball, whether it's uh, Billings, whether it's uh, Dan Butler again last night, kicked another four goals. But the first four goals of the game, Kent, <laughs> Steele, Gresham, and then King, they all came in the goal square. Yeah, it was crazy. And, and I, I just want, and this is my only question mark with St Kilda moving forward. When a team figures out that you cannot let them get over the back for easy goals, how are they going to score? I'm not sure. And I expect that at some point they're going to have to figure that out. But for now,
0: it's working. And the Sun's. They weren't able to stop it. I'm sure they
1: knew it was coming.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Some of it is the way that they they run and the way that they try and draw players towards them uh, to to get those openings. But that was it was an extreme example of you know, getting yeah. goals over the back. Like to have four four goals from a combined distance of about eight meters to start off a game is a, is a pretty wild a pretty wild thing. Especially when we, we just talked about it the, the day before, but. You feel like, again, considering how badly St. Kilda kicked a goal last year and how crazy good they are this year, you feel like you're just waiting for it to burst a little bit and you're yep. waiting, and the more you wait, the more it gets into dangerous territory in terms of, are they going to not be able to do this in the finals? It's going to be great all the way and they get into the finals and they kick four goals because all of a sudden they can't hit a target and they can't get within 10 meters of goal. And you, you worry about that. And it's, so again... It almost parallels the GWS situation. We go, that's great when GWS comes in and converts 60% of their Ford 50 entries, but when that doesn't happen, what the hell else do they do? Like, where is, it, where is the other thing you do? And while this one thing is working, when it doesn't work, you could be in real trouble if you don't have any sort of variation there.
1: Yeah, there's no question. And again, we spoke about goal-kicking accuracy all season long. There's a reason that the Saints every week are having these high scores and, and really accurate days. It's, it's because of the quality of shots they're getting on goal. So, I agree. I mean, this is the big question mark for the Saints. At some point, a team is going to sit back and say, yeah, we're, we're not going to let you kick those goals. And if we think back to the game against Collingwood where the Saints really got opened up and, and it was their biggest loss of the season, they lost by 50-odd points, they couldn't score. And that was against Collingwood, the back line back then. Obviously, they had Jeremy Howe, and they were locking down absolutely every team. And to be honest, even without Howe, they've still certainly done that. So... I think it's going to be a really interesting test this week against Geelong, and I think I'm, it's, it's only Friday. We're going to get to talk about this on Monday, but I'm calling it new game of the year, Geelong St. Kilda on Monday night. I think it's going to be interesting. These, these top teams eventually, you're right. You called it, Josh. At some point, a team's going to say, no, we're just locking you down. We're getting numbers back, and you're not getting those easy goals. Let's see what you got.
0: Yeah, at some point someone's going to do something different, and again, how they respond to that is going to be the real test. And I guess the real—not to say that they're not real because they're playing so well at the moment—and we can we can't say that it's a fluke over ten games to be you know, seven and three. But there is a concern of that. But let, let's let's also phrase it this way: Kane, if you're given the chance, you're going to have a shot from fifty or a shot from ten. Everyone's going to take the shot from 10. They shouldn't get it in there and go, oh, you know what? We probably should back it out just so we can make sure we kick from 35 or 40 out on an angle. If we can get a shot from 10 meters out, we're going to take a shot from 10 meters out or from two meters out. Everybody would love that. But you just worry that if it isn't allowed, is there another way around that? Because so much of it is coming that way and so much of their efficiency is an outlier compared to what's happened in the past that there is just that, I guess, nagging doubt as to how uh, how that's going to look. What are you looking for over the weekend though? Well, I'm
1: looking at Port Adelaide, sitting pretty comfortably on top of the ladder right now. They'll come up against Richmond tomorrow. Actually, I I changed my mind. This is the game of the year. Yeah, let's go. Port Adelaide-Richmond is the game of the year. Forget Geelong-St. Kilda. That will be the game of the year when we come back on Monday. But for right now, (laughs) Port Adelaide-Richmond is the game of the year. Richmond are in incredible form. We know that. I mentioned earlier in the week, they look terrifying with the style of footy they're playing, despite still missing a bunch of key players. But Port, I think they need a big win. Because if you look back at the teams they've beaten, they lost to St. Kilda. Now, again, 12 goals won to St. Kilda in that game. That sounds pretty familiar. But they lost that game at home against the Saints. And they were also really opened up against Brisbane. So they're the other two teams in the top four that they've faced so far and they've lost. Now let's see if they can stand up against a Richmond team that is in white-hot form. Because if Port Adelaide lose this game, again, maybe you can start to ask some question marks about them.
0: Yeah, now this is the one that I was going to pick to, to, to for me to look at over the weekend as well, but you've, you've picked it, so I'm glad that you did that because it's the obvious game of the year, of course. But Richmond is dominating at the moment, and Port, you wouldn't say they were dominant against the Dogs on Monday night. Um, they got over the line, had a good 15 minutes in the third quarter, um, but that's not dominant. That's not enough to get it over the top of what Richmond's doing uh, at this point. And again, losing a couple of those challenges that have been presented to them, they need this one. And they've always bounced back from losses, they didn't have a loss last week but you know we have never had that sort of ongoing roll on effect but it's about trying to you know at least be competitive against these t- these teams which in the end the results Saint Kilda and Brisbane would say you probably weren't that competitive although in both those games goal kicking was a big thing Saint Kilda kicking so accurately and Port struggling so early in that in that Brisbane game too so I, I do think it is a key one for them. Richmond absolutely is the form team at the moment, just you know over the last three weeks the, with the way they're playing. And I reckon it might be tough for Port.
1: I think so too. I mean, if I, if I was doing tips, I'd be picking the Tigers just based on... Uh, I mean, this is, this is a really biased pick based on what we've seen over the last few years. I, I think the player, the key player for Port Adelaide, and this is no surprise, it is going to be Charlie Dixon because we saw last week, even against the Bulldogs, he turned the game again, and this yeah. guy, this guy, I mean, the form that he's in, the confidence that he has, I mean, anytime he flies for a mark, you feel like he's going to reel it in. He's kicking over two goals a game at the moment, uh, over four, four uh, 4.5 marks per game, and uh, he, he's just grabbing everything, and this is going to be a huge challenge for the Richmond backline to stop him from flying, particularly inside 50, because they, we know that they have a bunch of dangerous players at his feet. The thing I love about this game and the reason I'm so excited about this game is similar to Gold Coast St. Kilda, both teams love to kick the ball. Their their kick to handball ratio is basically identical. Inside 50s, Port Adelaide 47 per game, Richmond 45 per game. So that's big numbers. That's big numbers. These two teams are super attacking. And that in in today's footy, that makes for a pretty entertaining game. So I hope that both these teams just unleash their shackles and go for it uh, hell for leather. Because if they do uh, this is going to be a pretty fun one.
0: Yeah, indeed. It's, it's definitely We've only got four games here over the weekend, two Saturday, two Sunday, um, to begin round 11. So it is one that, that I'm you know, keen on. So the other one that I want to look at over the weekend is the Bulldogs and Brisbane. Now, bu- the Bulldogs had a pretty tough run of things when this you know, footy fixture came out, this compressed schedule. They had to take on Richmond and then back it up four days later against Port <laughs> and then go again four or five days later against Brisbane. Like That is a tough, tough run. That's three of the top four teams in the league at the moment. That's a tough run. And they got pumped by Richmond. They were pretty good against Port. But going yeah you know, on a three-game losing streak, no matter the quality of the opponents, it's it's going to make it hard if they can't get this one. And it's going to be hard to get this one because you're playing Brisbane. And you're playing Brisbane at the Gabba, uh, coming off two losses against... And your team is you know, probably not as good as the Brisbane side at this point. You know, the Bulldogs could be bolstered by the return of Aaron Norton. But to me, this is... In the other two games on the weekend, just so people don't think I'm being completely biased it's west coast carlton and north melbourne melbourne so i do think this is probably a, a better a better game there but i think there's a lot to a lot at stake for the bulldogs in this one brisbane maybe not as much but uh, there's a lot here for for the dogs cuz they, they need this one to to keep uh, to keep me looking foolish from saying that there's nine teams still in it for the finals
1: yeah no doubt if the bulldogs lose this one then uh, particularly if they lose this one by a margin then it's a long long way back and you yeah, know i mean you have to look at the 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 fixture in terms of what's coming up for the Dogs, they have had such a tough run here and played a lot of the top mm. teams. So it's going to ease up a little bit on the way home. There's yeah. no
0: doubt about that. Their next two are they... Adelaide and Melbourne after
1: this one. Right, there you go. And, and I mean, that's where potentially they can build um, some percentage back, no doubt. But I, I just wonder, the Dogs probably uh, wish that the Lions beat Richmond the other day because we know Brisbane, they're going to be coming back. They're going to be bouncing back ferociously. They want yeah. to maintain their spot in the top four. And we know... Uh, you know, they lost last week, but overall in the last two seasons, they've been really, really, really difficult to beat uh, at the Gabba. So this is going to be a big challenge. Again, Brisbane are going to go in heavy favorites here. And the challenge for the Bulldogs, again, I know you mentioned uh, Harris Andrews in the notes here. If Norton comes back, then, yeah, welcome back. Welcome back to the AFL. You've got Harris Andrews on you for the day. Uh, again, the question, as it always is for the Dogs, where are the goals going to come from? The one player I will say that's been super impressive this year as a permanent forward, Mitch Wallace, uh, can take a contested mark when the ball's on the ground. You know he scraps. He's he's just hard to beat in a one-on-one situation. Rarely will he be outmarked. Mitch Wallace has been impressive playing Probably a more prominent role up forward than they would like him to, but it's uh, it's come through
0: necessity. Yeah, look, at he's super smart as well. He's, he's lost quite a bit of pace over the years with these horrific leg injuries, but we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, his ability to position himself and get in the right spots um, and it's not just about being tall and big to take these marks on leads. They're about putting the space in front of you, and he you know, he set up quite a few goals last week as well. He'd kicked a goal in every game prior to the game against Port, and then he set up about three or four in that one too. So he is a real key factor, but you'd like someone like Josh Bruce or if Norton returns. I think playing those two together will be quite helpful. Um, but you need someone there else to step up to get the ball to ground to enable Wallace to be able to have that sort of impact that he's having because he's sort of stepped himself up ahead of the other small forwards like uh, like Sam Lloyd and, and Torrey Dixon who hasn't even played at all this season.
1: All right, so one note I just do quickly want to make about the West Coast Carlton game. The interesting thing about these two games is the, uh, these two teams is the fact they have had a little bit of a break here, certainly more so than the other teams. Uh, Carlton in particular hasn't played since the following Friday, so they've had a lengthy rest slash quarantine period uh, over in Perth. The Eagles, you know, alongside Richmond, probably the form team of the comp. Carlton needs to bounce back. I mean, we know if they don't win this game, uh, it might be really difficult for them to climb their way out of it and and get back into the eight. They've been impressive this year, but that Hawthorne loss uh, is going to sting. So I'm looking forward to a response. They've actually played a couple of games in the last few weeks here as favorites. That's not something they have ever done. Now they're back in the familiar old spot of, Heavy outsiders. We'll see if they can bounce back
0: uh, against the Eagles. Yeah, that's part of why you know, that loss to Hawthorne last week hurt so much is because then you've got to back it up the next week against the Eagles. And, and then Oh, yeah. And then so you got the, the three the three yeah. Western Australia games in a row there with the two Western Australian teams. It, it does make it harder. So you're that one slip. You, you hope it's not something that plays on their mind, um, but it very well could be because it's like, oh, that's the opportunity that we let slip. So they, they need to get uh, they need to get in and at least be yeah, competitive and push because their best can be good. We saw it against Port Adelaide where they almost got over the line. I'm not sure they're going to have enough to get over West Coast, but they need to show much much more uh, than they did in that uh, in that game against Hawthorne, which was uh, quite disappointing. And then North Melbourne, Melbourne not, not a huge amount to talk about with that one. I don't think Kane will give a will give it a chat on uh, on Monday if uh, something interesting happens. I reckon we might be done here for today's episode of Lockdown AFL. Another week in the books. Thank you again.
1: Yeah, round 10 wraps up tonight. Round 11 starts tomorrow. So uh, no messing around. And as I said, game of the year, Port and Tigers tomorrow.
0: Let's go with the game of the year, guys. If you think this is the podcast of the year, go give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. i will leave you today with a shout-out to Mick Martin.